0: Begin by um, by just throwing up a thanks to Egypt. Last week I was supposed to be teaching, and in st- and kind of last minute, Kathy and I decided to take the boys up to the snow. And because we're from Southern California and aren't used to any sort of weather that doesn't involve sandals and, and sunshine, we got ourselves snowed up in the snowed in, in, up in the mountains. And so we weren't able to be here last Sunday. <laughs> and, and I literally called Egypt at the eleventh hour at eleven p.m. and said. Um, I don't think I can get down the mountain because they've shut the road down. Any way that you might be able to prepare, and so I just am really grateful that he stepped up. But the fun part is, rather than kind of be wrapping up the year, I get to begin the year this this year. And I, I, you can tell it's a new year, at least I can, because when I go into the gym, now it's full <laughs> of people on all of the machines that I want to use. And you know, it's funny because you see this cyclically happen every single year. January, gyms get totally full of people who want to make that transformation in their lives. And then you give it a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so. And all of a sudden, those people who were so dead set on, you know, getting in better shape start to fritter away. Maybe it's because they've got other things that are demanding their attention. There's a lot that are demanding our attention. Maybe it's because they simply have kind of lost the excitement over it, and so they kind of go back to their regularly scheduled lives. It's kind of hard to break out of the, the ruts sometime. Or maybe it's because they haven't seen the results that they expected as quickly as they anticipated, but for whatever reason, they st- just stopped showing up. And, and the new year, you know, and then by the end of it, you, you've pretty much, I've got my gym back with a couple of new regulars. Who are showing up. But the new year is one of these times where we pause and we assess where we're at, where we've come from and where we're headed. And we begin to assess the trajectory of our lives. And I would say for most of us, when we actually take the time to pause and think about where we're headed, we come to the conclusion that at least in one area, if not more, of our lives, there's some, some things that we're not satisfied with. We're not satisfied with the status quo. We want to see change. We want to see transformation. And at least the people showing up at the gym right now are doing something tangible to address that need. But as any of you who have ever undergone any real genuine transformation can attest, there's some characteristics that make transformation stick. The first characteristic, and I'm just going to kind of run this through physical fitness because this is something I think that is pretty easy to identify with, and then we're going to talk more on a spiritual level after this. When you want to get transformed physically, you need to be willing to make sacrifices. I remember back when I was a freshman in college, I was 280 pounds, playing water polo because I floated well. Um, <laughs> I quit playing water polo after that first year, quit playing at UCI because I, there were just so many other things that I wanted to say yes to. And somebody at that time goes, you know who you remind me of? A young Chris Farley. And this is right when Chris had died. And so it was like a double slap in the face. I'm just going, okay, thanks. I think, you know, I I don't want to continue down this path and I need to change And so I recognized I needed to start making some sacrifices. I needed to sacrifice free time in order to go to the gym. I needed to sacrifice my ability to sleep in or watch television. I needed to sacrifice my freedom to eat anything that I wanted to in order to lose weight. A second thing I needed to be willing to do was put in energy and and endure some discomfort anybody who wants to be transformed, it's going to require energy, intentionality. Because if we could lose weight simply by sitting on the couch, eating Doritos and watching, you know, the voice, then we all would be nice and thin and trim. It would be easy. But the reality is that's not the way that our lives work. And that's not the way that our bodies work. It requires some intentionality, some effort put in. And it's going to be uncomfortable because our bodies don't necessarily like that at first they're used to a certain type of lifestyle and when you begin to change that up you're going to be sore you're going to be exhausted it's going to be like having to push over the hump and then the the third thing that genuine transformation requires and this is probably the least talked about because it's the one that we as a society who are totally addicted to instant gratification And instantaneous results don't... We expect those things immediately. The biggest thing for genuine transformation to take effect is time. I think that for any of us who have ever undergone any sort of a transformation, you recognize that you can't just do one thing one time and expect it to change. Because there are habits that need to be broken, and there are new habits that need to be learned. But... As you begin to do the same thing again and again, and it may seem insignificant in the moment, right? I know a lot of people who will go to the gym and they'll work out and they'll sweat and they're uncomfortable and their body is sore. And at the end of it, they look in the mirror and they look exactly the same. And they get disheartened. Nothing's changed. And they do it a second time. And again, they look exactly the same and they go, nothing's changed. And they give up because there's no transformation that they can see. But I can attest to somebody who has dropped like 33% of my weight over the course of five or six years, and it's become more of my baseline. Transformation can take place. And here's the crazy thing about genuine transformation, at least I've found in my own life. As you continue to do those things, as you continue to sacrifice, as you continue to push yourself beyond what you're comfortable with and, and, and endure that discomfort, eventually... Things that felt like a sacrifice are no longer a sacrifice. I'm not hungry for the same things I used to be. I enjoy getting up and getting to go to the gym. In fact, I used to, my mom used to punish me by making me go run around a lap around the park when I'd get in trouble because that was like the worst punishment she could give me. Ooh, physical activity, ah! Now I get cranky if it's three or four days before I can go to the gym. My whole physiological needs have changed. With that time. Now take that to our spiritual walk as well. Because I would suspect. That in the same way that we get. Kind of physically out of shape. We can grow spiritually emaciated. We can get spiritually flabby. And I would guess. That there are a lot of us in here. Who are spiritually emaciated. Spiritually out of shape. But we may not even know it. Because we could never experience anything different. We kind of have prayed the sinner's prayer, got our, punched our ticket to heaven, we're good, right? And that's the sum total of it. I show up at church on Sunday, at least two Sundays a month, I'm good. I, I say a prayer before most of my meals, I'm good. But praying a prayer, it's kind of like, kind of like buying a gym membership. If you never do anything with it, it's not going to transform your life in the way that Jesus, Jesus did not come to be seasoning in our otherwise normal lives. Jesus did not come and say, pray a prayer. What did he say? Follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Do you see the difference between those two invitations? We pray a prayer because in a lot of ways it's like, Standing at the altar and saying, I give you my life. I recognize there are a lot of things I need to learn. But I give you all of me, for better or for worse. Till death, well, we don't even have to part at death. That's pretty sweet. But a lot of us kind of think, you pray the prayer, you're good. And the reality is, if I approached my marriage in that way, I would have a horrific marriage. If I lived as if I was a single man and I just wore a ring on my finger, you'd say I'm missing the point altogether. And far too often, we try to separate Jesus and say, you can be my savior, but I really don't want you to be the Lord of my life. I really don't want to submit my choices and my freedoms to you. So you can have my salvation. I'm I'm grateful to take that gift, but I don't actually want to give you my life in the here and now. And in that way, we become spiritually emaciated. We miss out on the life that is truly life. What I want to talk to you, but guys about today is transformation, but not just momentary transformation, not just the kind of transformation that you get when you go get a tummy tuck or you go get liposuction or when you do that crash diet and you lose a lot of weight really quickly. And then about two or three months later, you're right back up because you haven't changed your underlying lifestyles. Jesus said, follow me. And the promise is this. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he will be a counselor. He will be a comforter. He will be your guide. And as you are willing to submit yourself to the leading of the Holy Spirit, something happens. The choices that we make, they may seem insignificant in the moment, but the choices that we make will begin to change the trajectory of our lives. And we will become more Christ-like. Christian literally means little Christ. It used to be used as a derogatory term. Oh, those little Christs, those Christians. You say, okay, okay. Yeah, we're happy to be little Christ. That's exactly our desire, is that our lives would reflect our Lord's life. But we can resist the Spirit, can't we? I can attest as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus Christ myself, I resist the Spirit at times. We have free will. And because of that fact, We can also say yes to another Lord that desires to be the Lord of our life, our flesh, our sinful nature, our brokenness, the world around us. There are so many other little gods that are clamoring for our attention, for our devotion, and for our submission. And you guys are probably familiar with this. Uh, When you... Begin to say yes to those things. You suddenly find yourself being transformed into their image. When we say yes to the things of this world and saying, well, I'm better than that person. So even though I'm kind of following in their footsteps, I'm I'm still better. You know, I'm not quite as far along as them. We're still being transformed into the image of whatever it is that we're submitting our lives to. Whatever it is we say, whatever it is we worship, that is ultimately our Lord. Whether it's money whether it's a title or power, whether it's acceptance from the world around us, the last thing I want to hear from Jesus when I stand before him is that I cared more about, I was more concerned about what other people thought about me than what God thought about me. But if I'm more concerned with what other people think about me, then I'm going to submit my life to them and say, what do you want me to be? And I take up that validate me sign and I become that social chameleon that is so easy for me to slip back into. And I find at times I'm doing it without even being aware of it because that is my flesh. That's my humanity. And I want so badly to crucify it completely and be done with it. But I think that as long as I'm in this fallen human body... Although my spirit within me d- cries out to follow my God and to submit myself to my Lord and, and be a little Christ, there's a part of me that holds back and says, But wait a minute, I don't want to give up this. I don't want to go that extreme. There's a story of a, a Cherokee Indian talking to his grandson. He says, Son, within every man and every woman, there are two wolves that fight and snarl and scratch to try to gain dominance over that person. One wolf, the wolf of the flesh, is is characterized by greed and anger and unforgiveness and lust and hatred. The other wolf, the wolf of the spirit, is characterized by love, peace, graciousness, forgiveness, kindness, humility. And they bite and they scratch and they seek to gain dominance over the other and over the person. And his grandson thinks about it for a minute and goes, Well, grandpa, which one wins? And his grandpa simply says, The one you feed. The one you feed will become the stronger and ultimately will gain dominance. And in the same way, our flesh and our spirit battle within us for control to be Lord of our lives. And the one that we nurture more ultimately gains dominance. And turn with me to Galatians chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Galatians is the first of the smaller epistles written by Paul It goes General electric power company Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians Okay, so that's how I remember it This is the first of those four It's right after 2 Corinthians Right before Ephesians It's on page 1826 If you have my Bible It's somewhere else if you have a different one And I think that Paul so perfectly summarizes this battle that goes on. He does this, by the way, in several different books, in several different letters. He does this in Romans 7 and 8, but he also does this here. He talks about this battle, this war that wages it within each of us. And what I love about this section here is he begins to paint the picture of what happens when we begin to say yes to one Lord over another, when we begin to say yes to our flesh or our sinful nature, or when we begin to say yes to the spirit and to submit our will and our desires and all of those things to, to our spirit. He says this in verse 16 of Galatians chapter five, I say to you, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature or of your flesh for the sinful nature desires. What is contrary to the spirit and the spirit desires. What is contrary to the sinful nature? They're at battle within you, pulling you in one way or the other to do something. They're at conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit then you're not under the law, okay? It, it, this isn't some... He, he's By the way, the context of this discussion is it within the context of this whole do I earn my salvation by doing the right things, by you know climbing the right religious ladders. And he is just railing against this mindset that we can somehow become righteous enough by our own strength. That's the context. Hence, he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It's the Spirit living in you. Kind of impelling you to act and to live according to the spirit that becomes a law or becomes your your impetus. Verse 19, he's now going to paint a picture of what it looks like when we begin to say yes to our flesh or our sinful nature. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. See if you can find yourself in any of these. Sexual immorality, the Greek term there is porneia, anything that is outside of a marriage bond that abuses your sexuality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Idolatry is anything that we worship. Money, power, approval. All of those kind of things are our modern idols. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, the things that separate us from relationship with one another. Selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And then he says, I warn you, as I've done before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who submit themselves to these things and throw themselves into this and allow these things, their flesh, to be their Lord, and reject the lordship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Won't inherit the kingdom of God. But. The fruit of the spirit, on the other hand, the fruit of saying yes to the spirit and submitting our lives to the spirit will produce in us a fruit. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things as these, there's no law. That is the lifestyle that we're invited into and there's nothing in any court that says those things are not legal because those are the things that we celebrate. Those are the things that God desires to see birthed in us. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We have been willing. Do you realize what crucifixion means? Nailing it to the cross. Allowing it to die. We have died to these things. Though our flesh says you want to run and become whatever anybody says. You will, you'll submit yourself to other people's approval so that you can gain their approval. And we simply say No. Because I fear God more than I fear other people's opinions. I worship God. I don't worship other people. And so forth. And since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. So we see Paul painting a picture of two options on the one. Say yes to the flesh. And each step that we take is one step further away from our lordship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or on the other hand, begin to say yes to the spirit. And each choice that we make is a step closer into greater intimacy, a greater ability to hear his voice and recognize our shepherd's voice and follow him. Here's the point that Paul is making. Every single day, you and I have choices that we make. Multiple choices. We're not just talking about one. And in any given moment, the choice that we make, we have two seemingly conflicting options. Do I kind of go with what's most comfortable and what I, benefits me the most? Or am I willing to submit to the Spirit's lead in this? Do I take that second look? Or do I turn my eyes and focus on what I was doing? Do I tell the woman, you know, do I take the money that the, the checker gave me that was over and above what really belongs to me? and figure, you know, I deserve it. That's why I was being blessed with that. Or am I willing to give it back and say, you know what, you gave me something extra. I was driving out of a bagel place this morning. I saw a woman um, sitting under the awning, homeless, obviously. And I drove past her. I didn't see her until I was already kind of pulling out into the street. And In the back of my mind, I recognized I had a choice. Do I keep driving? After all, I got to get to church. I have stuff I have to do. Or do I turn around as my heart is telling me to do, and go see if she wants one of the bagels that I've got in the bag next to me. Moment by moment, we have choices in front of us. Do I follow my flesh? Do I follow my spirit? And we may think that those choices are insignificant because at the end of the day, it's kind of like going and working out that first time. We look ourselves in the mirror and we go, well, I haven't changed that much. But step by step, those insignificant choices pile up. And slowly but inexorably, they will change the trajectory of our lives and they will mark out who our Lord really is, whether it's our flesh or society or other people's opinions or the spirit living within us. Transformation is going to happen. The question is, what are we being transformed into? Fruit will be produced in our lives. The question is, what kind of fruit, fruit of the flesh or fruit of the spirit? I could tell you, I, we could talk kind of philosophically about this, but what I'd rather do is invite a friend of mine up who over the course of this last year has experienced radical transformation in his own life. So I'm going to invite Bill, my buddy, to come up here. I just want Yeah, you can, you can clap for him. You don't need that. Come on. Now he's coming right here. So I, I should tell you as Bill and I are walking up, after you. Um, a year ago, Bill had just undergone the third neck surgery to repair damage to his spinal column. The third surgery left Bill virtually... That's exactly where that goes. After you. Virtually incapacitated. Couldn't lift his legs, let alone stand, sit, or walk. I got him. I'm a spotter. <laughs> Yes, sir. Um, he, he couldn't. He couldn't lift his arms. That one. One arm. You comfortable? Is that okay for you? One arm would lift a couple of inches off of his body. The other one wouldn't move at all. He had no dexterity in his fingers. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't brush his teeth. He couldn't take himself to the restroom. Bill was basically trapped in an unresponsive body with 24 long hours to consider life and be left with his thoughts. And about a year ago, he was transferred from Hoag Hospital, where the surgery had taken place, over to a little recovery home called Victoria um, Recovery Home. And he basically has spent the last year there trying to get physically capable of walking up these stairs and sitting in a chair, feeding himself and doing all of these kind of different things. And I remember the first couple of months, because Bill and I would visit once a week and go over there and just kind of hang out for... Uh, an hour or two and and those first couple of months, man, it was like a dark cloud in that room. I know that it was r- those first few months were really difficult and really overwhelming why don 't you tell us a little bit about what those first few months were like for you, and what was going on internally? You know I remember well the experience I felt
1: it was like being in the bottom of a dark hole, okay. Mm-hmm. I could look up, and I could see light up there. But I physically was not able to climb out of that hole. I physically, as Eric just said, was basically helpless. And uh, I was reading in the book of John, in the last chapter, Jesus talking about, you know, when you're young, you can dress yourself. And you can walk wherever you want to. When you get old, somebody else is going to be dressing you. And you can't walk where you want to. So when I arrived at Victoria, I was helpless. I was totally dependent on other people. Men that were close to me would come and they would feed me because I was not capable of even feeding myself. I didn't have enough dexterity in my fingers to grab hold of a utensil to put that food from the plate in my mouth. So there I was, stuck. And it was compounded by the fact that I had bed sores. And so they would rotate me every two hours and I'd be spend two hours on my side, and then they'd flip me over to the other side and so forth. Because I had no dexterity in my fingers, I couldn't operate my cell phone, so I was literally cut off from the world. Mm-hmm. The phone would ring, but I couldn't read the, the, reach the landline because it was always on the other side or out of my reach.
0: So what was going on internally for you during that time?
1: A lot of fear, a lot of anxiety a lot of wondering what the future was going to hold. And I would think of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, God speaking to Jeremiah and Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you involving a future and a hope. I didn't see any at that point. Hmm. Didn't see any at all. I remember my son-in-law coming to visit me one time and, and I was lying there. I was, the bed sores were gone so I I was uh, able to do a few things with my feet in the bed people would come and say let me test your strength and they'd have me lift my leg and I had tremendous strength horizontally I just had none vertically I couldn't stand they'd drag me out of bed in the morning and say okay we're going to stand you up and put you in the wheelchair I'd say better hold on tight because if I fall you're going to lose your job I knew that to be true and they kept doing it day after day holding on helping me in the wheelchair
0: so what changed for you you went because I remember there was this marked difference I went in there one time and it was like you were an emotional black hole you had no hope you were angry you there was a lot of self-loathing I remember you were just so hyper focused on the mistakes of your past and it was almost like you looked at yourself and you just went, this is never going to change. This is my lot in life. Where is my plan? You have the plans. You know the plans for me, God? And this is it? And all of a sudden, one week, I went in there and it was a totally different bill. Smiling, joy where there was despair, hope where there was hopelessness. What changed for you? You
1: know, you mentioned focus. Um, obviously, those first few months, I was fo- totally focused on me on my problems what changed was that I had for the first time in my life lots of time to pray and I was willing to take that time to pray I was consumed because of my past in focusing on the greed of my life on the, on the way I treated people the abuse and so forth always grasping for the next rung on the ladder climb up the top I was focused on television. Spent hours and hours watching television. There I was, flat on my back in bed. When you're rotated side to side, you can't watch television. Um, last surgery, they fused my uh, vertebrae, so my range of motion is about an inch in any one direction.
0: Easy. Like to, Batman, huh? Easy. <laughs> easy to feel
1: <laughs> hopeless, and I did. But as I prayed, I asked this question. I said, Lord, you must have me here for a reason. What is it that you want to accomplish in my life? As helpless as I am, as dependent on other people, I trust that you have a plan. And little by little, I began to see some of the reasons I was there. And I'll speak of that a little later. So what changed at that particular time, along the first part of March, was that I was able to listen and be obedient to the commands of the therapy people there. Uh, Initially, it was the nurses that gave me therapy. And they said, Bill, every day start lifting your feet like that and do it. For as long as you can. Then one of the CNA's certified nurse associates said, You know, in your wheelchair, I'm going to take the footrests off, and you're going to have to use your legs to propel yourself. And I said, But I have no strength in my legs. I can't do it. Can't do it. It seemed like early on everything I did produced failure. And yet, I started very haltingly uh, using my legs to propel myself around. Mm -hmm. Because I had problems with that left arm that wouldn't go up, it was hard for me to use the wheels on the wheelchair to to get around, so I used my legs. Mm -hmm. And little by little, it started working. And then... I was given the opportunity to get into full therapy. And they started, you know, putting weights on my legs and making me kick out 15 times, times three, each leg. Go like this on each leg, 15 times three, weights on. Still couldn't stand up Hmm. without
0: somebody pulling me up. Let me me interrupt you because I... the physical part is exciting because it's such an obvious marked difference between when you went in there and couldn't do anything to today. But I think that something that could be really easily to overlook is that, at least from my perspective, the physical aspect is perhaps the secondary rehabilitation that happened. But the me. real change took place because I started listening to the Lord
1: and listening to the fact that I really did have hope. And because of the physical, I was starting to see some progress. It led me ultimately one Saturday to being pushed up onto a ramp, and there were parallel bars, and the therapist said, stand up. And I did. Again, I was learning to be obedient, and that was a big thing that had been lacking for my life. And I still suffer from disobedience. <laughs> she said stand up now I want you to take a step and I said Mina I haven't walked in that time it was like five months I had not taken, walked in five months she said you're going to take a step practice tough love okay and I was willing to accept that that I was. she thought at least I was capable of taking that step wound up taking ten forward and ten back okay. now again, what was going on in my heart? I was being circum my heart was being circumcised, okay the crud in there was slowly being cut away. Mm-hmm. My heart changed, mm-hmm. and later on we'll talk about
0: fruit and the fruit of that well, why don't you tell us what, what was some of the fruit of that slow transformation because as much as the external was being rehabilitated there was this restoration and rehabilitation of Bill Ruggles the spiritual man as well and so what were some of the fruit that as your focus shifted off of your own self and, and your own predicament and, and even began to shift onto some of the people around you yeah. and, be, and began to shift towards Christ how did you change and what was some of the fruit that was produced around you
1: Once I was able to move around in my wheelchair, again, remembering that I'd asked the Lord, why am I here? What's my purpose in life right now? And I began to realize that, as Eric just mentioned, I had this time that I could meet with people who are a lot less fortunate than I am. At Victoria, we have about a 70% About 70% of our population have dementia. Okay? And I found myself being willing to just be patient and start listening to whatever came out of their mouths. And I found that there was a lot more in those minds than they were able to express. People there hole up in their room. They wouldn't even come out we'd have a nice lunch maybe 20 people would show up 50 people would stay in their rooms so I visited rooms I had an opportunity to lead a lady to Christ now I don't want to take any credit for this any of this transformation Christ began working in me and I I frankly began to really like the result. I, I, Bill Ruggles, who had never taken time to listen to anybody other than somebody on television, was taking a half an hour, an hour, or more to sit and listen to somebody that had a tough time expressing himself. To listen to somebody who was not, what I began to realize is, although although I had family come and visit me so many people had no family ever come to visit them nobody to talk to and about that time I was elected to be president of the residence council and one of the things I, I said to the directors I don't want to be just a figurehead up here I want to have an opportunity to reach out and this is the way I can reach out I can go out and greet people in their rooms, wherever they are, and sit and listen to what they have to say.
0: And what's so fun, and he won't, he won't tell you about these things, but Bill has gone from being this emotional black hole uh, where he just lays in his bed and, and feels overwhelmed by the lot that he's been dealt to being a light in that place. Bill has uh, talked to the management and was allowed to start leading a church service every other Sunday. So he's here sometimes with us and then other times he's leading a church service or at least helping make sure that that happens there Victoria. He has become a minister to the people in that place so much so that even though you're now looking at leaving Victoria as your residence and we are still looking for a place for him to live so if any of you guys have a room or a place that you're aware of, we're looking for a place for Bill within walking distance of here, preferably. Um, But as he's looking to leave, his heart is now captured by the men and women who are still in that place. And it's funny how, and, and it's just totally the way that God works. The area of greatest brokenness over the course of the last year has now become his area of greatest desire to minister. And he's going to continue the plan is continue to go to Victoria and other rehabilitation centers and listen and minister to people whom others won't listen to. And that is a testimony to the transformational power of, of taking our eyes off of ourself and our own predicament and making little choices. The little choice that you made. You could have laid in bed or you could choose to do this. And I would go in your room sometimes and you'd be like working your feet. And that might seem insignificant. But when you walk him, watch him walk up the stairs, you recognize that that was not an insignificant movement. Similarly, the choice to lie in bed and maybe watch another Netflix movie on your phone or to roll over and talk to the man who's in the bed next to you and man, did you get a chance to minister to people in your room? You, it's almost like God would bring somebody in, you'd start ministering to them, and as soon as you kind of got to a point where everything you had to, to, to care for them in, they were gone and the next person came in and it became a rehab clinic in your own room. And then then you, or, or God would bring people in to help minister to you. And then once you got mobile, it's like, okay, we're taking this bad boy on the road and he would go room to room to room. And it's so fun now. I'll go there, and I used to just know exactly where Bill was. He's laying in his bed. Now I go there, and they go, oh, he's probably in somebody's room down the hallway. You're going to have to go search for him. (laughs) He is a different man today. And and the whole point of this morning, the whole reason I, I am so grateful I got snowed in so that more of you were here to hear this, is that God has transformed Bill's life. He is a different man today than he was a year ago. Physically, radical transformation. But I think that's only the secondary transformation that's taken place in this man's life. And we each have that opportunity to be transformed. We're each being transformed. The question is, what are we being transformed into? I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to go into a time of response right now. Thank you so much for sharing and being vulnerable with us. Can, Can we say thank you to Bill? Just stay right here for a second. Did you want to say something
1: else? The family. You know, so many people in this in this room have come and spent time with me. Um, lots of time. And it's been a joy. Obviously for the first time in a long time, I've got some joy in my life.
0: Mm-hmm. And I contribute a lot of it to the ministry of this congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, In your bulletins, I'd ask you to pull them out. There's a card in there. This is a blessing for 2013. And I believe that in the back, there's a couple of extra cards on the back table for anybody who doesn't have one. So would, would somebody, Rich, would you run back there and grab that stack of extra cards? If any of you in here this morning don't have a bulletin or don't have one, I'd like for you to raise your hand and in a moment, Rich will bring it. Here's what we're gonna do with those cards. During this response time, I wanna invite you to write a blessing to yourself for this year that blessing might actually take more of a form of a prayer god i desire to fill in the blank so i might write something like god i desire to be spiritually mature and i need help in that because honestly i have been making the easy choices and i've been listening to the flesh far more than i want to so would you help me this year to focus more on you and to be transformed into your image would you transform me? That might be the kind of blessing or prayer that you want to write. Here's what I would ask. Write your name, your full name legibly, because what we're going to do is we're going to collect these in the offering in a few minutes. And then we're going to mail them to you at the beginning of December of this year. And we'll just kind of see what God has done. So if you do not have a card, raise your hand and Vanna here will pass one out to you. All right, so... God, would you please guide us even in this, even in the writing of a blessing or a prayer for this year. Would you give us wisdom to know what to say. We thank you so much for the ways that you give us grace in the midst of our choices, and we thank you for the desire that you do, you want to be more than simply a savior of our lives and save us from ourselves. You want to be the lord of our lives and lead us into genuine transformation that then begins to spill out, spill out on the people around us so that we become ambassadors of hope and reconciliation when before we were in desperate need of an infusion of it. So thank you for what you've done in Bill's life and we pray that you would do a similar transformation in our own. Jesus, in your holy name, amen.